You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 54. In today's Tidbit Tuesday, I'm answering a listener question on how to photograph the moon. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Just a quick note, the Outdoor Photography School website crashed this week due to some issues I had with updating the site. So I apologize if you tried to access it and were unable to. I'm hopeful that the problems are now resolved. And uh, so thank you for your patience while I figured it out. Anyway, as many of you know, I live in Vermont and we are finally seeing signs of spring around here. We've got crocuses in bloom in the garden and daffodils and tulips are starting to poke their heads up through the soil. And we've got the return of the eastern bluebird and goldfinches, among a bunch of other songbirds. And with these welcome seasonal changes also comes the return of the dreaded tick. And many of you who live in warmer climates are likely already dealing with the ticks. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to episode six if you haven't yet, because in it I share five quick tips on how to protect yourself from contracting a tick-borne illness after spending some time in nature. Ticks are prevalent all over the world and preventing tick bites can really go a long way in keeping you safe from getting sick. As you know, I enjoy hearing from you. And so if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to suggest, just click the link in the episode description or go to outdoorphotographypodcast.com and you can record your message. This week's listener question comes from one of our loyal listeners, Ajidio. Hi, Brenda. This is Ajidio in Austin, Texas. I really enjoyed listening to your suggestions in episode 52 on how to photograph the Milky Way. I don't do much night photography, but occasionally I like to try and photograph the moon. My results have not been good. I don't like the photos that I get. So I was wondering if you had a similar guide to photograph the moon, what settings, what equipment, things like that. I'd appreciate hearing from you. Thank you as always. It's great to hear from you, Egidio, and thank you for this question. Photographing the moon presents some interesting challenges for two main reasons. One, it's fairly bright, and so it's easy to overexpose, especially if you're trying to include some of the environment in the composition. And two, it moves really quickly through the frame when you're using a telephoto lens and trying to get more detail of the craters on the surface and such. Some common complaints I'll hear are, why did the moon turn out so small in my image? Or it just looks like a big white blob. Or the moon just looks a little bit blurry. Or I framed my shot and then the moon moved out of the frame before I could hit the shutter button. So if any of these frustrations sound familiar to you, then I hope the tidbits that I share today will help you overcome these challenges and start creating photographs of the moon that you love. 
So let's start off talking briefly about gear. Now, much of the gear you need to photograph the moon is the same as you would need to photograph the Milky Way, which I discussed in the previous Tidbit Tuesday episode, with the exception of perhaps lens choice, which we'll get to in a moment. So like with Milky Way photography, you'll want to use a DSLR or mirrorless camera and have a sturdy tripod and ball head. You'll want to make sure that your tripod and ball head can support the weight of your camera plus a lens, especially if you're renting or investing in a telephoto lens, which can be a lot heavier than a wide angle lens that you would use for, say, Milky Way photography. Also, if your telephoto lens comes with a lens shoe, be sure to use it because it will be better for balancing the weight of your camera and lens over the tripod legs. And if you're unsure of what to invest in first, better tripod legs or better ball head, if I had to choose, I would invest in a good ball head first because there are other ways to weigh down a kind of flimsy tripod to help it be more sturdy. Whereas if your ball head drifts a little bit, especially when supporting the weight of a telephoto lens, then it can be very difficult to photograph the moon because it's already moving pretty quickly through the frame, thanks to the rotation of the Earth. Also, because of the rotation of the Earth, I recommend using a remote shutter release and not using the internal timer of your camera. So when you're photographing a moon at focal lengths greater than, say, around 200 millimeters, it will move out of the frame very quickly. And so it's helpful to be able to set up your composition and then trigger the shutter immediately without touching your camera. And then you can reposition your frame for each successive exposure. And so that's why I like to use a wireless remote shutter release. As I mentioned in the Milky Way Tidbit Tuesday, I recommend removing all filters on the ends of your lenses and also bringing along a headlamp and scouting your location during the day, if possible, so that you can make sure that one, you know where you want to set up your camera, and two, you can note anything that could be challenging in the dark, like a cliff or some trees that are down across the trail or maybe some intersecting trails that may lead you astray when you're hiking in the dark and so forth. In terms of lenses, Unlike photographing the stars, you don't necessarily need to use a fast wide angle lens to photograph the moon. In fact, many people prefer to use telephoto lenses for moon photography. And because the moon reflects the light of the sun, it's very bright and it's unnecessary to shoot with wide open apertures like it is for photographing the Milky Way. And we'll talk more specifically about settings in just a moment. But let's first talk about focal lengths. So the focal length you use will determine how much of the moon fills the frame. So the size of the moon in the frame. So if you use a wide angle lens, say in the 14 to 35 millimeter range, then the moon is going to appear quite small in the frame and any distinguishable features of the moon won't be detectable. If you use an intermediate focal length range from say around 35 to 200 millimeters, then the moon will be of kind of a medium size, but still on the small size of things. It's only when you get into focal lengths beyond 200 millimeters and even closer to 1,000 millimeters where the size of the moon will make up a good portion of the frame. So if you want to make a nice portrait of the moon and not include other elements in the frame, then using long focal lengths like 500 to 1,000 on a full frame camera would work. 
keeping in mind that you may still want to do a little bit of cropping to get the moon to really fill the frame. Now, if you wanted to fill the frame with the moon without cropping, then you would need to use focal lengths of around 2,000 millimeters, which is impractical for many of us in terms of affordability, even if you're using a 2x teleconverter. And this is a situation where using a crop sensor or micro four third sensor camera is really advantageous because of their crop factors. So for example, a micro four thirds camera with a 500 millimeter lens has an equivalent focal length of a full frame camera with a thousand millimeter lens. So that's just something to consider. All right, now let's talk about settings. So the time of day will ultimately affect what your exposure settings will need to be and whether you will need to make multiple exposures. But generally, if you are trying to photograph during daylight, golden hour or blue hour, which includes civil twilight, then you should be able to photograph the moon and a subject and or foreground within a single exposure. Keep in mind that as it gets darker, the dynamic range of the scene will increase because of the brightness of the moon. And so you will want to expose for the moon, especially if you're using a telephoto lens, so that you preserve the details on the surface of the moon. It's very easy to overexpose the moon and blow out the highlights, and you won't be able to recover those in post-processing if you do. So be sure to check your histogram for blown out highlights and listen to episode 24, which is all about exposing for high dynamic range scenes and also episode 30 if you want to learn more about using your histogram. Okay, but once the sun dips below about minus six degrees of elevation, we transition into what's called nautical and then astronomical twilight and then eventually into the darkness of night. And the dynamic range of the scene at this point is so great that you will need to blend multiple exposures in post-processing if you want to have any light on the landscape. Alternatively, this is a great time to create silhouettes with the moon. And when it's full night, that is the best time to get those close-up portraits of the moon with all the crater details on the surface with a super telephoto lens. So let's dive a little deeper into settings. As I already mentioned, the moon is effectively a moving object in your frame. So it's very important to get your shutter speed correct. So if you find that your moon images are kind of soft or a little blurry or slightly out of focus, it's most likely due to not having a fast enough shutter speed and or introducing some camera shake into the system by maybe not using a remote shutter release or your tripod and ball head aren't sturdy enough and, and things like that. And like with photographing the Milky Way, you should use raw format files as well as photograph using manual exposure mode. When photographing the moon at night, there's a little rule of thumb that you can use as a starting point for determining your exposure settings called the Looney 11 rule, which basically is to start at an aperture of F11, use your base ISO, and then the shutter speed is the reciprocal of your base ISO. So, for example, if your base ISO is 100, then your shutter speed would be 1 100th of a second, and your aperture would be f11. If your base ISO is 200, then your shutter speed would be 1 200th of a second, and your aperture would remain at f11. Now, I want to note that it is possible to handhold your camera and photograph the moon, but if you do choose to do this with a telephoto lens, then make sure that you're using even faster shutter speeds than what you would determine from using the Looney 11 rule. 
So typically when you're hand holding, then you want your shutter speeds to be the reciprocal of the focal length to reduce any camera shake. So for example, if you're hand holding at 400 millimeters, then your shutter speed should be about one four hundredth of a second. Now, having said that, newer cameras and lenses are so good at image stabilization these days that you might be able to get away with hand holding with slower shutter speeds. So this is just something that you'll have to test for yourself and your camera and lens combination. Also, just a quick side note, if you do go the tripod route, then it's a good idea to switch off any lens image stabilization, which is also sometimes called optical stabilization or vibration reduction, unless it's pretty windy out. So the Looney 11 rule is just a starting place. And in fact, I have found that shutter speeds closer to one two hundredth of a second with an aperture of f11 and ISO 100 to be better for getting details of the full moon and that the Looney 11 rule of f11, ISO 100 and one one hundredth of a second actually works well with photographing waxing and waning moons. But again, you're going to need to experiment with your own setup. Also, keep in mind that if you'd like to photograph a crescent moon, which is going to have less light, then you may find that you might need to open up the aperture a little bit to around f5.6 to let in more light. Or you could increase the ISO to amplify the signal if you don't want to compromise on the depth of field, say if you're including other subjects in the scene. So basically, if you're photographing at night, I recommend starting with the Looney 11 rule and then adjusting your aperture first, then your ISO, and then the shutter speed if you need to brighten up the exposure. And if you're photographing the moon when there's a good amount of natural light available, then I would expose for the moon and check your histogram. And lastly, if you're using a DSLR camera and using shutter speeds that are slower than around 1 20th of a second, then I would recommend using mirror lockup to avoid any camera vibration introduced by the mirror. All right, now let's briefly talk about two common types of moon compositions that people tend to want to get outside of that close-up portrait of the moon or a wide-angle landscape photograph that includes the moon as a minor element of the entire scene. So the two popular kinds of moon compositions are one, when the moon is aligned with a subject in some way, whether that's an interesting land formation or a building, and or two, when the moon appears to be huge relative to a subject. So if you want to learn how to plan a moon image where it is aligned with your subject of choice in some way, then I encourage you to check out my PhotoPills Friday video tutorials on YouTube. In episode five, I teach you how to plan a moon image just like this using PhotoPills. I also did a tutorial on how to use PhotoPills to create an image where the moon appears really big relative to your subject. And that was PhotoPills Friday, episode eight. And I'll link to both of these videos in the show notes. But I wanted to clear up a common misconception about what determines how big a moon is relative to a subject. So often people think it's focal length, but that only determines how big the moon will appear in the frame. There is only one thing that determines the apparent size of the moon relative to a subject, and that is the distance between you and the subject. So as with any image, the closer you are to the subject, the larger it will appear in the frame. The moon appearing bigger or smaller in a given image 
can be partly explained by what's called the Ebbinghaus illusion, which is basically an optical illusion of relative size perception. So the closer you are to the subject, the smaller the moon will appear as compared to the subject. And the farther you are away from the subject, the larger the moon will appear relative to that subject. So we can't change our distance to the moon, but we can change our distance to our subject. And we can use this to our advantage if we want to create an image where the moon appears to be very large relative to the subject. So we just need to figure out how far away from our subject we need to be to get the apparent size of the moon that we want. So figuring out what distance you need to be from your subject to get a moon of a certain size involves a bit of math that uses the angular diameter of the moon. But you don't really need to know the details of that in order to figure out. So the PhotoPills app will calculate this for you. And if you follow the steps that I show you in episode eight of PhotoPills Friday, you'll see how to do that. But another simple way to determine this distance is to use what PhotoPills calls their rule of 100, which is simply to multiply the size of your subject by 100 And that is the distance you need to be from your subject. So, for example, if you want the moon to be the same width of a lighthouse that is 30 feet wide, then you need to be 30 feet times 100. So 3000 feet away from the lighthouse to get the moon to have approximately the same width of the lighthouse. And lastly, I covered where to focus when photographing the moon with a foreground back in episode 46 of the podcast where I discussed depth of field and I answered a listener question about where to focus when you're trying to get both the scene and the moon in focus. So be sure to check that out as well. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this Tidbit Tuesday and for your submitted question. As always, I appreciate you tuning in and sharing a part of your day with me chatting about photography. You can find all the links I mentioned today in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 54. And while you're there, if you're getting value out of the podcast, you can show your support by leaving a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, or just on the website. Or you could buy me a coffee, which is like a podcast tip jar, and it helps me to cover the costs of production. And a huge thank you to all of you who have supported the show so far. I could not be doing this without you, and I appreciate it so much. So thank you. We have several amazing guests coming up on the podcast, including award-winning landscape photographer Shane Walls, who will be on the show with me next week to chat about running a photography business based in print sales, being prepared to travel at a moment's notice, his decision to work with a highly technical camera setup, photography competitions, and more. So be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss out on this or any of our other upcoming episodes. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.